Hello, I'm Sam and welcome to the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills and language. Today I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the people bringing the world's youth together since 2009. We've got language guru Mike. Hello. And our very own Miss Positive, Julie. Hi there. This episode will be visiting South Korea, Italy, the USA, Hong Kong, Sweden, and the Netherlands in Around the World in Six Stories. And in the big discussion this week, we talked about equal pay for men and women. We'll be looking at Argentina in fact or fiction. This week in the Youth Spotlight, we'll tell you about Amanda Gorman, who is the Poet Laureate who spoke at the new US President's inauguration ceremony. And this week on Life Skills, I learned how to master the art of public speaking. Language Corner this week, we look at just how many words are there that exist in English. This is the Learn and Experience podcast. Okay, Julie, where are we visiting this week? So firstly, we're off to South Korea, where at the end of last year, their Lantern Festival was granted UNESCO cultural heritage status. So the festival was one of 25 things that the UN decided to add to its heritage list last year. So the Lotus Lantern Festival is a springtime event that's held to celebrate Buddha's birthday on April the 8th. It symbolizes lighting up the world to make things fair for everyone, and it dates back two millennia. Historians say there was an ancient kingdom in 57 BC where royals visited a temple to see Lotus Lantern and today it's one of South Korea's biggest festivals. So what do they do? So they're very colorful and um, they actually, you can see them, uh, see the lanterns and a 1.5 kilometer long path that runs along uh, the, this river. And it's, it looks absolutely amazing. So many different colors and different kinds of animals. It's, um, it's quite the spectacle. And Brownie points, if one of you can tell me what UNESCO stands for. United uh, Nations something. No, go on. Yeah, I didn't know either. So don't worry. It's the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. Of course it is. There's a, a good quiz question for you, for you guys. I'm going to Italy this week where archaeologists, that's people who dig up stuff to learn about history, have discovered in the city of Pompeii, they've discovered a, an ancient snack bar. It's the, 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 the oldest well-preserved street snack bar, they reckon. People have been excavating, that means digging something out of Pompeii since the mid-1700s. And they've discovered theatres and swimming pools, gyms and hospitals and many other different kinds of things. But this Thermopolia, is what it's called, is what they think is a fast food restaurant. And it contains a low counter with lots of clay pots, which was used to uh, hold food and drinks. What's the most amazing thing is that they've discovered some paintings on the wall that show examples of what kind of food was served. And the paintings are in amazing condition, but they show ducks and roosters that would have been typical food uh, at, served at this bar. And they are in absolutely mint condition. They look a bit like graffiti, uh, modern day graffiti or, or street art. Um, and it's remarkable. So the menus are still on the walls. 
Yeah. <laughs> Their menus are still on the walls, exactly. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I saw yeah, this story, actually. And it, they are, it is remarkable. Like they've pres- it's been preserved so well. And the paintings, like when you say graffiti, it's better than graffiti. Like it's seriously good paintings that are over 2,000 years old, right? That's Pompeii. Sure, sure. Yeah, definitely the street art rather than the graffiti. I, I, you're absolutely right. Yeah. They're, they're just works of art. Maybe um, McDonald's should hire like Banksy or someone to do some like really cool burgers to try and increase sales. Maybe that, maybe that would work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving it, Julie. <laughs> so I'm going to Hong Kong where a man climbed a skyscraper in a wheelchair. This is the amazing story of Lai Chi Wai, who used a rope system to pull himself up over 820 feet, which is about 250 meters, along the side of a skyscraper in Hong Kong. So before 2011, Lai Chi Wai was a world famous rock climber. He had achieved lots and lots of amazing things in rock climbing. He was ranked eighth in the world at one point. But in 2010, he was involved in a car crash, which left him paralyzed from the waist down, unable to use his legs and needing a wheelchair. But Lai Chi Wai couldn't get over his love of climbing. He figured out a way to attach his wheelchair to a roping system that allowed him to climb again. He also started working as a climbing teacher again. He said, in a way, I forgot that I was a disabled person. I could still dream and I could still do what I liked doing. So he had done a few challenges. He's done a few mountains and a few um, different things, but he decided to challenge himself to climb Hong Kong's Nina Tower, which is over a thousand feet. After 10 hours climbing, he reached the height of 820 feet, but winds became too rough. And so he did have to give up. However, he had set a new world record and he'd raised over $700,000 for a charity that is working to help others who have been paralyzed. He said that often disabled people are viewed as weak. He hopes that that his climb would send a different message. If a disabled person can shine, they can at the same time bring about opportunity, hope, bring about light, and they don't have to be viewed as weak. That's the inspiring story of Lai Chi Wai. Such resilience, just to and and love. Sounds like love of the sport. One of my good friends is is a climber, and it sounds like the community within climbing is just really, just a really amazing community. And so, yeah, that's an amazing story. Yeah, resilience and perseverance, right? Mm. Did he climb? Because obviously, if you're climbing, uh, from my knowledge, at a climbing center, you'll have you know handholds and things to to climb up. But with the side of the building, was it just a rope that he was climbing up? Yeah, it was a, a pulley. But he's but he it wasn't just from the top. It wasn't just like this all the way from the top. He still went up and then engaged. Belayed. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, okay. So wow, the upper body strength. Gosh, no. with not having not you know not using hours, legs. Ten hours of climbing. Right, next time I complain about having to get up early in the morning at seven in the morning and do a lesson, I'll think about that, man. Okay, so we're off to the USA, where in Florida, a puppy that escaped alligator's jaws has become the sheriff's deputy dog. So Gunner the puppy survived a close encounter 
with an alligator's jaws last month and with a video of his escape, aided by owner Richard, going quickly viral. Gunner wasn't badly injured, thankfully, uh, in the attack and the five-month-old Cavalier King Charles Spaniel will work with Lee County Sheriff's Office to educate children about safety. And gosh, is Gunner cute. So I'm off to the Netherlands now, where a train just last month broke past the end of the raised tracks that it was riding on. And in any other place, that would have been a disaster. But luckily for the train and its driver, there was a large sculpture of a whale's tail at the end of the track. And this sculpture supported the train and kept it from smashing onto the ground that was 10 meters below. And the sculpture, which some people are calling saved by the whale's tail, was created by an architect in 2002. Mr. Struish from Rotterdam said that he was surprised that the, the sculpture was that strong because when plastic has stood for 20 years, you don't expect it to hold up a metro train. <laughs> and uh, perhaps we can include a picture of this because it's really quite remarkable that the, the train just perches on this, um, on this, on this, on this, on the back of this tail of a whale. It's really, it's really amazing. And is it still intact? Did you, did you say? Completely intact. That's like one in a million, you know, like... Yeah. And everybody was, nobody was hurt and... No, fortunately there was only, there was actually only the driver on board and it, it's, it's not clear why it didn't stop. It normally would just stop at the end of the track rather than go on. But... Uh... I bet he'd always wanted to do that. I wonder what would happen. There's that whale tail there. <laughs> Let, there's nobody here. Let's just Let's try just this. Try it, a bit right. of risky oh. behavior. The yeah. whale will save me. Oh, great story. So I'm going to Sweden where we're going to look at one of learning experiences favorites the climate activist Greta Thun is it Thunberg or Thunberg? Thunberg. Thunberg, yeah. Thunberg. So a picture of Greta now appears on a new Swedish stamp in her honor. The stamp is one of a new set of stamps called Valuable Nature. The stamps feature pictures by the artist Henning Trollback showing different natural scenes. The head of Sweden's National Post Service said, we hope we can shine a light on the very important climate question with the help of a little stamp. And just to remind ourselves of what uh, Greta did, she was, uh, and why she's so special. So she began the climate strike movement in 2018 by skipping school to sit outside Sweden's parliament, protesting her government's lack of action on global warming. And since then, she has gathered a massive amount of support and had over 4 million people join her strikes over the past few years. And don't forget, Greta was only 15 when she started striking, and now she's just turned 18. And we love Greta, and we think she is a beacon of light, and Sweden have now recognized her, and she will be immortalized on a stamp. All power tour. Imagine getting on a stamp. I think that's the ultimate achievement, isn't it? I think so. You've, you've reached your peak when you get on, get on the stamp. A coin is probably, because a coin will last longer, maybe. Coin's the next step. Maybe she should just, you know, go for a few more years and she'll get on a coin. She's only 18. You've got you to gotta <laughs> baby steps. I've got a joke about a stamp. Do you want to hear it? 
Sure. What did the envelope say to the stamp? Don't know. Stick with me and we'll go places. (laughs) (laughs) So that was Around the World in Six Stories. So in the big discussion this week, we talked about equal pay for men and women. So on average, a woman working full time, and this data was from 2016, earned £5,732 less a year than a man. Uh, the gender pay gap is the difference between male and female earnings. So this, this study was done in the UK. So the gender pay gap reduces women's lifetimes earnings and also affects their pensions. And this is one of the um, significant causes of poverty in later life for women. Um, and now we'll hear from our young people. Well, the money you get is, has to be equal on the, when you have the same job. For example, a man and a woman that have the same job need to have the same money. And do but they? They need to, but it is not. No, they, they, they don't get really the same money. But they need to. Yeah, they're meant to, but everybody, yeah, they, some, some works say, yeah, we do pay the, the men and the women equal, but they don't really. And I think that's, that has to be it. We are going to visit Argentina this week on Fact or Fiction. Ole, 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 ole. You been there, Mike? I have, yes. I, wow. I, such I went a there surprise. when I was 17. <laughs> <laughs> the population of Argentina is 45 million. I'm going to say fiction. I don't know whether it's more or less, but I'm going to say it's fiction. Argentina is a huge country, I know that much, but it's got a lot of sheep, and I think 45 million for that amount of people sounds that amount of territory sounds a bit too big, actually. I'm going to go with smaller fiction. It is, in fact, a fact. Dear, oh dear. Little point. <laughs> <laughs> Argentina gained independence from Spain in 1716. I think I know the answer to that one. Argentina was Spanish. It belonged to Spain a long time ago. But I think it's a lot later. I think it we're talking maybe even 1800 and something. But it was later than 1763 from Spain. So I'm going with fiction. Now, because Mike went with fiction and seemed really like he knew what he was talking about, I'm going to say the opposite to make the game a little bit more interesting i i have no reference point i'm going to say fact well well done mike that was a good answer that was a a thorough answer are you going to give me a date 1862 i thought you were going to say it then you were you went 1816 it's a bit earlier but still still good answer okay so one nil come on julie Argentina is the largest country in South America. I'm going to say fact. Mike reckons it was pretty big <laughs> from previous answers. I'm trying to think of a map. Really good if I had a world map in this room, wouldn't it? I'm going to say fact. I think it is. I did say it was big, and I think it is, is, is big. <laughs> <laughs> it's eclipsed by Brazil, so I'm going to say faction. A faction? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fraction of the size. <laughs> 
I'm going to say fact. Uh, fiction. Yeah. That makes sense now you've said it. <laughs> it's not fact. It's not fiction. It's faction. Is it? <laughs> Mike, it's a 2-0 lead. Oh, no. I'll get him in the spelling bee. Don't you worry. We've got two more, Julie. <sighs> Come on. The Andes are at the end of your armies. (laughs) (laughs) You were waiting all week for that one. (laughs) It was the best one so far. (laughs) It's good. It is the best one. Okay. The Andes are a huge mountain range. They're a natural border between Chile and Argentina. And they are the second largest mountain range in the world so the andes are the second biggest mountain range in the world i'm my gut says fiction that so as far as a mountain range the like length of the mountain range oh gosh i don't know i'm gonna say my gut says fiction i believe they are the second largest and i can't remember who which one i think is the largest but i think they are the second largest in the world julie you're back in it yes two one they Go are with your guts. the longest mountain range in the world Argentina is the world's biggest exporter of soya beans. I do know that soya beans are found in Argentina, but I also know that the country next door, which we've already talked about, Brazil, is also a big exporter of soya bean. And my little hunch tells me that maybe Brazil, being a little bit bigger, just tips it in its favour as being the world's largest exporter of soybeans. So I'm going to go with fiction. Coming from no knowledge of this, but also knowing if I say the opposite to Mike and get it right, I can tie it. So I'm going to say fact. It's played into your hands, Julie. It is two. Oh, oh. it is in fact a fact. <sighs> and you've been there, Mike, right? I, I was, but I wasn't working for the Soybean Federation. Was... <laughs> or the mountain ranges, yeah. Or the mountain <laughs> <laughs> Oh, unlucky, Mike. I'm very happy, but unlucky. This week in the Youth Spotlight, we hear about Amanda Gorman, who is the Youth Poet Laureate in the U.S., And she's just given a speech at the inauguration of Joe Biden, the new U.S. president. Gorman said that she screamed and danced her head off when she found out that she had been chosen to read at President Biden's swearing-in ceremony. Born in Los Angeles in 1998, so she's 22 years old now, Gorman, like, like Joe Biden, had a speech impediment as a child. And she says that It's made me the performer that I am and the storyteller that I strive to be. So turning this this stutter that she had as a child and now performing on the world's greatest stage. Her impassioned poem, which was called The Hill That We Climb, is a cry for peace and building a future which includes all Americans, regardless of democratic or Republican party beliefs. And it included the very, very inspiring lines. So we lift our gazes, not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know 
to put our future first, we must put our differences aside. And I think as the world spotlight has been on America for the last few years with a very controversial and divisive president, we can all relate to this poem as a, as a gesture of peace and rebuilding, which is, which is super cool. And uh, you can see her full poem on the Guardian website, I believe, but we'll publish it on this podcast as well. And it's really quite something to watch such a passionate uh, poet deliver her poem. I found her very moving. So did I. She was, was, and just the expression as well, she used her hands a lot. And poetry is probably quite a new thing for me that I'm starting to be a lot more aware and appreciative of the spoken word as a such a young person you know she's been doing this well probably all her life but she became i think she became the the youth poet laureate in in la at the age of 16 to speak with such eloquence and it it was it's pretty moving could be very easy i guess with a speech impediment to just be really scared be really scared and not and not want to to practice and get better. I read, um, it was earlier on this week in an article, it was that she overcame the fear by drawing confidence from Barack Obama and Martin Luther King. And she used to um, practice the songs from Hamilton, the musical, um, to try and just, because obviously that's very, I mean, if you've ever seen Hamilton, it's, it's you need to <laughs> be concentrating because they speak so quickly and they sing and rap so quickly. So uh, a very good way to practice. Oh, yeah, amazing young young woman. Uh, just to kind of prove how amazing she is, I actually didn't know that. I didn't know that she had a speech impediment. So I was only aware of her for the first time at the inauguration. And you just I just was not aware of that. So th- that as an extra part of the story is, you know, is even more incredible. Okay, Julie, what have you been learning this week? Okay, so this week on life skills, I spoke with Shamela Ahmed, who is the managing director of a company called Resilience Learning Partnership. And she's spoken at many conferences and events, including a TEDx event. And she's also spoken alongside Scotland's first minister. And she imparted her, her public speaking wisdom, wisdom on me. So I'll just run through a few things that, that she suggested. She said she remembered the night before she did her first ever presentation, she, she didn't sleep at all and felt really sick before she had to speak. So this was at university and she took the opportunity um, after that first kind of dreadful, dreadful speaking engagement to, to do it more. She realized that the more she did it, the better she got. And she even actually started to enjoy it. She realized that, that the nerves are good. Adrenaline is good. It's just about how you harness it. You know, even the most famous speakers, politicians, musicians will get nervous, but it's kind of how you what you do with those nerves that count. So she said to prepare for a speaking event, she would prepare like researching for an essay. She said knowing the topic inside and out would really stand you in good stead so that if anything failed you on the day, so if you have um, any slides um, and there was any tech issues or there was a venue change, she could kind of overcome this because she just knew the, the subject really, really well. She also said that that telling a story is more interesting and she found that storytelling really gave her the best way to express herself rather than just kind of reading quite a, a stilted, you know, number of facts. She also learned that after much practice um, that by having something in her hands would actually give her something to put her nervous energy into. So she started using a, a clicker, 
which you sometimes can use um, for, for a presentation. And if there wasn't a presentation, she would simply just hold a pen and she would kind of um, just hold the pen in her hand. She'd sometimes click it. Um, but I guess, you know, what she was saying was you've got to just try lots of different things, you know, try maybe um, walking about the, the, the stage or um, standing behind a podium, you know, figuring out what, what works for you. Some people have, you know, lots of energy and like to move around. So it's really kind of about um, harnessing that, harnessing whatever works for you. Um, she also said that finding a, a, a friendly face out there and whoever's watching, you know, some people just like to smile and nod along to what you're saying. And sometimes if you kind of can concentrate on them, it's, it, it, it feels better than maybe someone that's looking like they're maybe a bit bored. Um, so yeah, so her advice was that whilst you're at school or um, going to college or university, use these places to really practice and hone your skill because they're safe spaces. Everybody wants you to succeed and, and you'll get really good feedback. Um, and, and, you know, it might not seem like it if, if you're someone that thinks like, you know, dreads a presentation um, that's coming up, know that if you put the work in and put the practice in, then you will one day enjoy it. And it's, it's something that it can be really fun if you, if you get really good at it. It's good. It's a really good skill. And I advocate public speaking to everyone. Like it, it's just put yourself out there. Last week on The Language Corner, we looked at the origins of loan words to English. Remember, we looked at things like pyjama and bungalow. Well, this week we explored just how many words exist in English, or just how many. Some estimate that there are more than one million words in the English language. But that includes a quarter of a million words that don't get used at all anymore. So inevitably this has created some, over, some redundancies. So it's thought that English has more synonyms than any other language in the world. This is historically due to the invasions by the Vikings and then the Normans and then the colonization and the waves of exploration that gave the English vocabulary lots of foreign words. On average, a native English speaker will have between 20 and 30,000 words in their vocabulary. But the idea of who has the most words in their language is actually quite a controversial one. Why? Because what makes up a word? For example, in Spanish, the word for kiss is beso, but they also have lots of different in inflections or variations of this same word. So you get the word besito, which means a little kiss, or besar, which means to embrace or to kiss. So really, the person who has to make the decisions, what makes up a word and what makes up a, a small variation of a word, is, uh, it's pretty random. English as well, like a, like a lot of other languages, has different meanings for the same word. So the word run, for example, can be used as a verb or a noun, or even as a secondary meaning of a noun, which you can have a run on Broadway, for example. Are we going to count each one of those as a new word? Some languages make new words by combining two existing words together. These are called compound words. And the German language and Turkish language are both great at it. In German, they've combined the word declaration and the word independence 
to make one word. But there's a word in Turkish that is, has got 70 letters in it. And so are we, if the, the question is, do we include these, these compound words as words? Uh, so it's actually remarkably difficult to, under, to answer the question, has English got the most amount of words? Okay, spelling bee. So we have our self-proclaimed worst speller in the world, which is now completely disputed, along with <laughs> our language guru, which is also starting to be... Can I just say, I never called myself the language guru. I did call myself the self-proclaimed worst speller. I will now yeah. rename myself as the self-proclaimed mediocre speller. Yeah. I'll, I'll we'll build me up. Just... Not as bad compared to Mike <laughs> Speller. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it's very unfair, Mike. You never did say that. We called you that. Of which you are a language guru. To us. And and to <laughs> us. The spellings have been tricky. And it is also tricky saying them without necessarily writing them down. But um, but just to say, I am doing the hard bit. I'm doing all the, the work. And Mike is simply <laughs> confirming or denying. So maybe we change the rules of the game at some point. But I'm, I'm, I'm up, so I'm happy. First word. So it was uh, Mike's youth spotlight on the amazing Amanda Gorman. <laughs> she was the youth poet laureate. And uh, so the, the word laureate means a person who is honored with an award for outstanding creative uh, achievements. Can you spell laureate? I think it has fewer letters than one thinks. I'm going to go with L-A-U-R-E-T, laureate. Laureate. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mike? I think it has one or two more letters than you think. It's L-A-U-R-E-A-T-E. -E. Mm -hmm. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good too. <laughs> Either or. Um, yeah, Mike got that one right this week, I'm afraid. Just that extra A. <clears throat> so you were on the right lines. Julie just missed, I think. Uh, you missed it out. Yeah. Yep, per show. Okay, well done, Mike. You're going Thank down! You. <laughs> <laughs> so that was what I would call a missed opportunity, Julie. Spell opportunity. O-P-P-O-R-T-U-N-I-T-Y, opportunity. Going down with the O-P-P, remember that song from the 90s? I can um, see you bopping your head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to dispute that spelling. I think you've nailed it. Because it is, the fact, the correct answer. So the story, uh, our big discussion this week, was on equal pay and we are always looking for equality in our society equality e q u a l i t y equality i think the same as you julie i was going to go for 
no difference at all. So sometimes we are just a show of giving information and learning and it's just nice to know how to spell things because this week you both got that right. Well done. Mike did win this week, I'm afraid, Julie. He did get uh, laureate. Yeah. Well, that's good because otherwise we'd have to change his name. <laughs> so I think that works well, actually. Well done, Mike. Good show. Lost in Argentina, won in Bumblebee land, spelling bee. Bumblebee. <laughs> okay, guys, thanks very much. Bye-bye, Julie. Bye, Mike. Bye, Sam. Bye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the show. That was the Learn and Experience podcast, exploring and making sense of the world we live in through adventure, life skills, and language. You can see more of what we're doing on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, and you can check out our website, learnandexperience.com. Take care.